This is ASHA Voices, I'm JD Gray. Today we're talking about the ways that SLPs can work with families to create positive self-concept in children with autism. Of course, all SLPs know the importance of helping a child with autism become empowered and believe in themselves. Today's guests have made that a priority in their practices, and they share strategies and examples of ways to help foster this positive outlook. They say that in a world that can stigmatize autism, the right intervention framework can lead to positive outcomes, and that and starts with a conversation with parents. Our two guests share concepts and techniques that support children and their relationship to autism on this episode of ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the Signature Series, a new collection of continuing education courses brought to you by ASHA's Special Interest Groups, or SIGs. Significant learning starts here. Learn more at on.asha.org slash signature series. Visit SLP Rachel Dorsey's website and a few features might jump out at you. You'll see her logo. It's an illustration of her name with a speech bubble saying Autistic SLP. She's both, autistic and an SLP. She treats clients in a private practice and offers consultation to professionals who work with autistic children. You'll see Rachel's mission statement, which includes developing a positive autistic identity as a part of treatment. And then dig a little deeper, and you might find a video of Rachel discussing how she first brings up autism to parents. Hello, this is Rachel Dorsey back again with a video. Rachel is speaking directly to the camera, providing step-by-step instructions and giving personal examples. The first time I did this, I was incredibly nervous. I had no plan. Um, She goes on to explain the method she developed to begin this type of conversation and why it's so important to create a positive autistic identity. She told me that creating this positive identity is important because when children internalize a negative view of autism, it can lead to a lifetime of bad feelings. She told me this during a conversation about fostering positive self-concept in children with autism. We're also joined by another SLP working to boost self-concept in these children, Jesse Ginsberg. Jesse and Rachel met online and bonded over their shared professional interests. Jesse is the CEO of Pediatric Therapy Playhouse, a private practice in LA. Through her course ASD from the Inside Out, she provides professional development for SLPs and works with clinicians to create treatment plans for children with autism. Early in the conversation, I asked about the video on Rachel's website and the conversations SLPs have with parents. She says SLPs have the opportunity to help build positive regard in a child with autism by helping parents understand why their child is exhibiting certain behaviors. Jesse emphasized the importance of the language SLPs use, saying that they influence a parent's thoughts and how they perceive their child, and encourages the use of a strengths-based approach, because this eventually influences the child. Rachel says when parents are faced with statements and messages that are deficit or impairment-based, it can change how they think about autism, and the empathy or reasoning behind the child's behaviors might be lost to the parent. It's like really makes it seem like autism is this really bad thing. Let's get rid of it. And if you, as the SLP, or someone to come in there and explain the reasoning behind the child's behaviors, and hey, you do them too. Like, imagine being so overwhelmed by this and that. I bet you would do the same exact thing that your kid is doing. I mean, SLPs, we have a lot of power in in, uh, being the first ones in there 
we bring a lot of compassion and we should, we should bring a lot of compassion. You both have referenced the language that SLPs use. And Jesse, you mentioned uh, using a strength-based approach. Uh, could both of you kind of give a few examples of language that's often used maybe that doesn't exhibit this strength-based approach? And also maybe a few examples of language that could be used instead that would have that approach. Absolutely. So Jesse Ginsberg. I had this amazing conversation with this autistic young woman. She is in her mid-20s. She is co-founder of a foundation called Artism. And I found something she said that really resonated with me, which was how her whole life people told her, you're so obsessed over this and that. You're obsessed with reading. You're obsessed with movies. And then she would go into her social skills groups and the therapist would say, well, they don't want to hear about movies. So you need to talk to them about something else. So she felt like this passion that she had in such deep interest was something that she couldn't even talk about because they just thought it was an obsession, you know? So she said, why is it such a bad thing? And then she ends up growing up and she writes movie scripts now and is working in film. So she says the deepest relationships she has with people are the ones who have the same interests as her. We often, SLPs, will use terms like this child's obsessed over this or fixated on this, but we could instead say this child has very deep-seated interests in the following or the child is very passionate about this topic. I love that story. I resonate with it. I mean, I'm also autistic, so I I resonate with with, uh, uh, her um, story a lot. And I, and I love how in that example, the language, the negative language is like, like obsessive and like, uh, you're too obsessed. You need to like change. Um, and like, in fact, that trait, (laughs) that autistic trait of having a very, being very passionate is seen often as a negative, but through a strengths-based approach, an SLP can see a client that is very, very passionate about movies and about books and about writing and of, of things to be passionate over. Like, man, that those are awesome and, and have, there's, you can do so much with that. So um, it, it's actually kind of taking a uh, like a, a negative uh, autistic trait and uh, flipping it and, and seeing it as a positive and fostering that. So I love that. Rachel, I can hear your enthusiasm about this subject. And what I'm wondering is um, if there's a word that either of you would tend to use instead of the word obsessed. I mean, I think Jesse said it well, like really passionate, really focused, deep interest. Yeah. I use the word hyperfocus. Um, and a lot of members of the autistic or like neurodiverse community use that word to like describe themselves, but I'm not sure how they would feel about reading a report written by a psychologist that describes them as hyper-focused. <laughs> so yeah, I think all of those uh, are 
nice alternatives to obsessed. Yeah, and it's so interesting how we, just by reframing our language in that area can affect the parent, you know, to circle back into what can we do when we're working with parents and helping parents to, you know, develop positive self-concept in their children. If we are teaching parents, don't let your child do what they love, that's not sending the right message. And instead, you know, this person, she had this incredible family and they appreciated her deep passions and loves. And, you know, look where she is now. She's actually writing movie scripts and her twin sister, who is autistic as well, is an actress on cable TV. Their parents had a choice of how they could address what their kids love to do, and they chose to support them in their interests. And that can start from the earliest of ages, obviously, like how you use your language to help influence a parent's view on autism should be used throughout the lifespan. But I guess I really try to emphasize the younger population the most, because if you if you really start then, there's a lot less you gotta un the SLPs have the responsibility to undo as the kid gets older. When you say undo, you're talking about like um, as far as shaping the view of autism. Yeah. So like if the kid is ten and they and the parent throughout the in- entire parenting of this autistic ten year old has heard negative things about their child or about autism and then you go on the internet and that is an entirely dangerous place to try to find information about autism (laughs) then coming in at that point trying to help shift the parent's mindset it's a lot harder they had much more time to solidify their views One of the most important skills we can help and support is helping the child learn to regulate. And this happens from an extremely young age, even from babies when they cry and then their parent comforts them and they learn how to regulate through co-regulation. For a parent, you know, the best thing they can do is truly be warm and connected with their child and come from a nurturing place rather than a place of trying to change their child because it all starts with this bond of warmth and connection and trust. Yeah, definitely for sure. To embrace the child for who the child is, is only going to get the parent to form a stronger and more connected relationship with the child and you know, everything stems from there. Uh, Rachel, so you're saying this is part of the important part of framing that conversation that uh, making sure that whenever you talk to parents about autism, that you are framing it in a way that doesn't include stigma, right? I mean, obviously, you need to gauge where the parent is in their mindset. If I come in, let's take that 10 year old hypothetical, like if I come in, and this is a child regardless of, of, you know, what the child like can or can't do, but the parent is searching online for dietary advice for a cure. 
and is in all these like autism mom Facebook groups that, you know, if you find a group of like-minded people, they kind of all excite each other and get each other amped up. And that view is solidified even more. My language going into that situation is going to be different. Uh, It's not going to be as gung-ho autism is just another way of being human. It'll inevitably have to be more subtle because if I'm at that point coming in there being like, oh, your child has echolalia, which is like repeating um, things that other people say or things heard in, in movies. If I'm in there saying like echolalia is we should like we should foster that. That's a way that this child is uh, processing language. It, in fact, it's part of some uh, like a type of autistic language development. This is great. And then the rest of the team, whether that be like ABA or whether that be the school SLP or whether that like whoever it is, has the whole time been like, we need a treat. Echolala. Like, we got to make it stop. We need to have this kid just not do that because that's, that, that's, some, that's a deficit, it's an impairment, something to fix. If I come in there completely saying something different, there's going to be pushback because I'm kind of blowing the parent's mind a little too much. So it, it is hard. That's why I keep on saying it's so important right from the beginning to shape or to help influence parents' minds. In the video that I referenced earlier, you say it's important to validate parents' emotions because a lot of the times they're coming from a place of love and concern for their child. They're rooted in a positive emotion. Right. Yeah. No, yeah, yes, definitely. So often there's feelings of, I don't want my child to be autistic, yet I still love my child, how they are. And those are conflicting viewpoints, and it leads to a lot of guilt. And I mean, you got to be aware and conscious of that, too, and validate that parent has a right to their emotions. The parent has, everyone has a right to their emotions. And I, I think it's important to acknowledge that we don't know what's going to happen regarding like long-term outcomes of the child, but the autistic person having meaning and having just worth just by existing, that's important. Rachel mentioned echolalia. You can find resources and information about the functional aspects of echolalia at asha.org, such as the Continuing Education Webinar, a language-based approach to managing echolalia. This continuing education opportunity is available through the ASHA store and with the ASHA Learning Pass. Also, you heard Rachel and Jesse discuss the language we use to discuss autism, and if you want to hear more on this subject, check out the ASHA Voices archive. In September, we spoke with ASHA members, including autistic SLPs, about person-first and identity-first language and autism. Find out why the autistic ASHA members I spoke with say they prefer to be called autistic SLPs as opposed to SLPs with autism. 
ASHA adheres to the style guide of the American Psychological Association in using person-first or identity-first language to describe attributes and diagnoses of individuals or groups of people. When there is a preference, ASHA honors that preference. We're taking a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about strategies for setting goals during autism treatment. for ASHA Voices comes from the Signature Series, a new collection of continuing education courses brought to you by ASHA's special interest groups. Many of the courses explore culturally responsive practice and practicing in a pandemic. You walk away with expert insights and practical takeaways you can apply immediately. SIG affiliates get significant discounts on all the courses through November 30th. Learn more at on.asha.org slash signature series. Now for the second half of the conversation with Rachel Dorsey and Jesse Ginsburg. As a note, at the end of the segment, we do mention suicide. If that's a subject that you would rather not hear discussed, I would encourage you to turn off the podcast before the end of the segment. Building off the first half of the conversation, in this half, we turn to a subject that I knew was important to Jesse Ginsburg in her practice, setting goals with parents and taking a large macro look and letting go of some of the micro perspective. When we're working with these kids, I think what happens so often with SLPs is we get so caught up in the day-to-day data taking and these structured things that we're trying to accomplish that sometimes we are failing to look at the big picture of what this child's life is going to look like. So an exercise I like to do with parents and teach SLPs is what I call reverse engineering the child's life. So having this very open conversation with parents about, you know, what what do you want the, your child's life to look like in 30 years from now, 20 years from now, 10 years from now? And, and then we take that and we say, now, what is it today that we need to focus on in order to get there? Hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about some of these specific, maybe a, give me an example of a specific uh, goal that you might use during this reverse engineering process. So for me, I always try to focus m- more, I guess, on on broader goals. So on goals for kids to be able to engage in back and forth interaction with a parent. So for instance, and I'm sure Rachel has an opinion on this, but we don't write goals for eye contact, mm-hmm. right? And just because that feels like it should it should be what we all do, it's not necessarily comfortable for every person. So there are ways for kids to engage without necessarily using consistent eye contact. So writing goals that are more aimed toward the child being able to, you know, engage back and forth and connect with a person rather than these very small skills. I'm curious, Jesse, and I don't know if in the way you structure your your questions, this might not end up being something that is said, um, but what do you do if you have a parent that's like, well, I want my kid to go to college and get married, and have a family and have a job. Um, Do you ever get that response? Absolutely. So then how do you, like, we don't know that that will ever happen. So then how do you, um, 
Of course. The conversation is a lot more so that the parents can see that the point of everything that we're doing in therapy isn't necessarily to have the child answer WH questions and have the child able to take turns. You know, it's not these, um, it's not these small goals or objectives. It's more about how can we get this child to form deep, meaningful relationships with others? Because I think when we go into these sessions and we meet kids who are not yet talking, our goal, it always ends up to be, well, he needs to talk. We need to get him talking. He's not talking. He needs to talk. But a lot of times what we're seeing is what we really need to work on is building those foundational skills for language. And oftentimes that is the child's regulation and the child's engagement and the child's motivation and intrinsic motivation to communicate and interact. So I try to put a lot more of an emphasis on just simply getting the child to engage, but more than that, you know, enjoy being in the session, be intrinsically motivated to be in the session, engaging with the therapist or with the parent. So I'd way rather, you know, have a session where I have very little data and we're not doing any structured activities, but our goal is just to get this child engaging back and forth, back and forth with us and you know, happy essentially to be there. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you the turn it back, you turn it into the the meaningful connection, however that may look. Exactly. It all starts with getting kids regulated, getting kids having strong bonds with parents. And then that all circles back into, you know, what we're talking about, which is getting parents to embrace their kids and and love them for who they are. So if we're not putting any of these really hard, high demands on parents that we need them to do X, Y, Z, you know, we mm-hmm. can give them the simple goal of connecting with their child, then, you know, how great of a gift would that be to give the parent? I've got one more question, but uh, before I kind of wrap up, I was going to ask if there's any other uh, specific Um, advice that you'd want to give SLPs working with parents of uh, children with autism? I think that there is, and I'm sure you see this too, Rachel, but online, on social media, there are so many heated debates with SLPs just arguing with each other about what's best for these kids. So I think that we're in such a place right now where we have this whole community of autistic adults who have been in therapy their whole lives and are now here and ready to share information with us. And I think that this is obviously a great platform for getting the conversation started, but I think that we all have so much more learning and growing to do. And I think being able to give autistic voices a platform to share is really important for us in this profession. I mean, so, I mean, thank you. Thank you, Jesse. Yes, obviously, I tremendously agree that people, people need to listen to the autistic experience. Some of the, the main points that are made is like, 
You know, you you can talk. Look at you. You're so smart. And I mean, I can I can sometimes talk and autistic adults can sometimes talk um, or maybe they have an amazing vocabulary. Um, but like you, you don't know what underneath or what as a child or that person's life experience, people need to take autistic voices and it's important to listen to those that are able to describe the autistic experience. I think this segues well into um, the last question I had. I want to talk about what's at stake here. When we talk about a positive self-concept, Rachel, in the October issue of the ASHA Leader, you co-authored a piece about um, providing person-centered care for clients with autism. And the article cites research linking masking to suicide among people with autism and additional data that says as many as 35% of people with autism plan or attempt suicide in their life. Do you believe that, that this type of treatment and this approach with a positive self-concept, do you believe this could, could help bring those numbers down? Yes. I totally agree. And, you know, I can't speak for the autistic community, but I think that using this type of methodology and fostering positive self-concept would change any child's life, not just autistic children. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Like, I mean, ideally, like every parent would be like really emphasizing that that positive self-regard. Um, it's particularly important for the autistic child because of just how much society is saying that the way they're acting is bad. So I absolutely think that by like a strengths-based approach, by helping shape parents' perspectives on autism. That's really powerful. And I think it should also go beyond that, not just shape parents' perspectives, but maybe help the family when inevitably there is going to be like social discrimination and and how to handle that. And then at which point I think kind of going like leading them to you know members of the autistic community there's autistic parents of autistic children so it, it all kind of comes together the topic of mental health with autism is a really complex subject that we definitely don't have time to go over but if autism was but seen as something that, like I said, that's another way of being human and the, and the parents see that, then that, that really sets up a child's view of themselves. It sets up a child to advocate for their needs as they get older and whatever modality they're able to it sets up the stage for the child to communicate and it, it can really change quite a lot. Rachel, Jesse, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate the conversation. 
Thank you, thank you. I enjoyed uh, being well, being here virtually and uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you so much. For more from Rachel Dorsey, check out the October issue of the ASHA Leader magazine. It's online. You can find it at leader.pubs.asha.org. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the Signature Series, a new collection of courses covering the spectrum of audiology and speech language pathology practice. Significant learning starts here. Learn more at on.asha.org slash signature series. The clips from the video of Rachel speaking directly to the camera were created and provided by her consultancy, Rachel Dorsey, Autistic SLP, LLC. Production assistance for ASHA Voices comes from Pamela Lawrence. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.